Well, hey, hey there, happy innovators. How are you all doing, huh? What are you up to? Are you up to no good? Probably not. Oh, man. What can I say? It's been a rough year or two for me, you know? Emotionally and, uh, you know, as you probably remember from my last podcast, I had explained that I had lost my father. You know, my father died and was kind of dealing with that. Well, believe it or not, in the interim between releasing my last podcast and this one that I'm doing right now, unfortunately, I also lost my mother. Yeah. Can you believe that? Within five or six months of each other, my parents both died. And uh, I don't really want to talk about that too much today. You know, I don't want the Singularity podcast to be like morose or, you know, a downer all the time, you know. Um, But it would be kind of intellectually dishonest to not at least mention it right now, which I already have. So I'm going to leave it there for now. Just, you know, going through a difficult time, but it's not all bad. You know, life is not all bad. I have a lot of good things going on and a lot of positive changes taking place, you know? So here we go onward and upward with the Singularity Podcast. You know, it's been kind of bothering me that um, there's these huge gaps of time in between my podcasts. And I'm kind of like, at least silently in my mind, in my interior, resolving to change that. You know, it's it's good to do a podcast. It's good to communicate. If I can't be releasing music, right, then, hey... Why not just do this? You know, at least do a podcast. And oh man, you know, I did an episode of uh, the Mike TV. You know, I did a huge episode. I put in so much time and effort. It was awesome. It's like a two hour video, you know, for Mike TV. And oh, I just covered so many songs and oh, it was great. You know, I, I really tried, you know. And uh, when I uploaded it to YouTube, it turns out that a lot of the music that I chose was just blocked worldwide. Like, I'm not allowed to use it. So I don't know if something changed at YouTube recently or what. You know, I'm not really too good with all that stuff. But the long and the short of it is, is that, you know, I had this awesome video that I had produced And it was so funny. I had some great stuff in there. Um, And I had to, you know, just kind of like omit it. Like, that's it. YouTube decided for me that I wouldn't be able to release it. And then I kind of looked at the breakdown of what songs specifically were blocked. And, uh, you know, out of maybe like 20 or 25 songs or 30 songs maybe even, only like five of them or six of them were, you know, able to be shared. So I edited that video down to just those songs and I re-uploaded it. And to no avail, there was still blockage on some of the stuff and I just figured, screw it. You know, I'm going to have to figure out some way around that to keep the Mike TV thing going because I think it's a good idea and I've gotten a lot of positive feedback from people about it because it's, you know, not the kind of thing I make any money off of, you know. It's just fun to do. And frankly, I don't let money dictate whether I do something or not. You know, if an idea is there and it's good, I think that it's worthy of my effort and my attention, then you know what? I'm going to go right ahead and do it. So I'll find some way, at least I'm hoping to find some way 
of continuing with the Mike TV idea. I suppose I should mention, you know, to those of you who are not familiar with Mike TV, like maybe this is your first podcast you're listening to from me, Mike Bostwick of Pipe Choir Records. Well, I do this thing. I started to do this thing a few months back. Um, where I would just play music and I would comment or have commentary over the songs. And they were famous songs. They weren't from unknown artists or anything like that. But, oh, you know, it's just the world we live in and the way that licensing is and copyright is in the world. It's so lame and so old-fashioned and stupid. It's a shame that not everybody can be a creative commons artist, in my opinion. You know, this stuff like music and art and those things should be free to use or to comment over, to, you know, have fair use of this music. And, you know, maybe that's my in. Maybe fair use is a claim that I could make, but I don't know. I don't know. The record companies are so screwed up on this front that it's like it might take them years to figure it out even if they can you know they may never be able to figure it out but oh well you know what am I going to do about it I'm just going to work on new pipe choir music new PC3 music you know do my thing and put it out there and let people use it for free if they want and maybe hopefully eventually other people will catch on to that and it'll head in a different direction. You know, maybe, maybe not, but time will tell, you know. And, you know, like I said, I lost both my parents in the past six months, you know, and uh, it's got me thinking about this thing where, you know, there's this myth about living in the suburbs, you know, suburbia. You know, the area outside of a metropolitan region, you know, that surrounds it. Um, you know, th- this idea that living in the suburbs of a city is somehow like bad or shameful or like really lame and, you know, or whatever, not cool, you know. And um, I hear that a lot. I have always heard that, you know. Um, on television, you know, from uh, rock stars and movie stars, this kind of like mocking uh, living in the suburbs, like it's the dregs, you know, the, like the worst people and really lame man, you know, that kind of thing. And I've always been kind of offended by that because it's not an accurate assessment of what living in the suburbs is like. And, you know, I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland, Ohio, and um, I had a great life there. It was awesome. Like, my father uh, had grown up in the inner city of Cleveland and, you know, the lower parts of town. And, um, you know, he worked his way out of that area and into the suburbs. You know, it was like he was breaking through. He was getting out into the suburbs and um, he provided such a great life for us. All of us kids, all the kids in that town really had a great existence in that suburb. And um, this idea that it's not cool or not good or somehow, you know, it's um, something to be avoided, you know, living in the suburbs, being from the suburbs, I don't know. I think it's kind of bullshit, you know, and I hear it a lot. I've been hearing it a lot. And, um, you know, it's kind of funny. I I have this memory. This one time I was riding the bus from downtown Cleveland to the place where I lived in the suburb. And behind me, there were these two businessmen that were sitting on the bus and they were talking. They didn't realize that I could hear them. And they were talking about the area that I grew up in and in a really derogatory way, you know, and um, they must have lived in a wealthier suburb of Cleveland, you know, 
but um, I'm sitting there listening to these guys just go on and on about how awful it was, you know, in this town and in this area. And, oh, it's just the worst. And it's, you know, whatever. The same thing I've heard from celebrities and rock stars my whole life, you know. But um, I think about that from time to time. You know, those two guys and that ride on the bus listening to these people. It was like the disillusionment of where I was from or the first time I had ever heard somebody talk like that about where I lived specifically, you know, my, my hometown and my area. But both my wife and I grew up there and it was excellent. It was excellent. And I suppose, um, you know, I'm bringing it up because you know, I went back to Cleveland for my mother's funeral, okay? And um, it was kind of strange because uh, my mom had been sick for a long time. And we were all kind of expecting her. Actually, we were expecting her to pass on before my father did. My father was much stronger and healthier than my mom was. And, uh, you know, that's not how the cookie crumbled. You know, my dad died first and then months later, my mom. And I didn't realize that when I was going back to Cleveland for my mother's funeral, really what I was going back for was the funeral for Cleveland like in my heart, you know, in my spirit and in my mind. Um, What do I mean by that? Well, I can explain it to you um, because some of you out there may be able to relate to what I'm saying. Um, You know what? Let me get a sip of my coffee here. I suggest that if you have a cup of coffee yourself, that you grab it, take a sip. So just hang on. You know, cheers. Here we go. Oh, man. I've got a cup of Dunkin' Donuts coffee today. They even just make the best coffee. I know I've talked about it before, but man, there's a reason why this company is so successful in America. And it's because they make a great cup of coffee. Hang on. You know, just a straight up, simple cup of hot coffee nothing fancy nothing exotic you know no special flavors or anything just a typical cup of coffee Dunkin Donuts and this podcast is not sponsored by Dunkin Donuts by the way although they should probably be paying me something right for promoting it as much as I do but uh, I'm going to take another sip hang on All right. Where was I? Oh, yeah. Okay. I was talking about um, my mom's funeral and how it was really a funeral for Cleveland. And and what I mean by that is like, um, like when I would go back to Cleveland, I would visit my parents' house. Like that's where I would go. You know, Uh, I might see my brothers. I might see my sister. You know, I might see my nieces and nephews or something, but when I arrived in Cleveland, I would go to my parents' house and that's where everybody would kind of like meet and I would spend time with my parents. It was really, I guess, the point of what I'm saying is it was really about um, like that house, my parents, that whole thing was kind of like a touchstone for me, you know, Um, a neutral zone. It wasn't somebody else's house. It was the house I grew up in. I was comfortable there. I was able to, you know, walk around and pretty much do whatever I wanted to do. You know, just be comfortable, grab a drink out of the fridge, you know, hug and kiss my parents, uh, maybe grab a bite to eat, watch TV with my dad or, you know, whatever. I I felt at home and comfortable there. And uh, like after my father died, you know, my mother was in a nursing home. Okay. Okay. So the house was empty 
And, you know, the idea was that we were going to have to sell the house after my father died. You know, my mom wasn't going to be there ever again. And, uh, you know, they didn't want to leave the house empty and all that. Liquidate all the assets, you know, that kind of stuff with uh, the estate when someone dies. You know, and what that meant to me really was um, the end. Okay, that was like... Uh, the end of that part of my life, you know, like from here on in, when I go back to Cleveland, especially now, since my mother died, there's really nothing for me there. I do have family there and I love all those people, but it really is the end of that part of my life. You know, I live in a different state. I live very far away anyway. So, you know, I'm not really affected um, in the here and now, you know. But um, that realization that as we were lowering my mother's casket into the ground, you know, really what was happening was my relationship with that whole city, that whole area, everything was being lowered down into the grave too. Like with my mother died, my ties and my relationship with that city, it's gone, you know? And um, it's really kind of a heavy thing to consider, you know, because it's important, right? Like where you grew up, where you live, you know, the house, that you grew up in, all those things, especially if you had a good childhood, you know, you had a, a a good and fruitful younger life, which I think I did, you know, it was, it was awesome. Like I was saying earlier about living where I lived, it wasn't downtown Cleveland, but you know, there were a lot of really cool little things in this city that I lived in, you know, um, the ice cream shop, you know, the donut shop, the uh, deli that I used to go to or where I used to work, you know, at the print shop or, um, you know, just all kinds of things like every memory I have, all the things of, you know, from age, what, 25 and younger was all a snapshot of this region. Everything happened there, you know. And um, I do feel bad about it. I think I would feel worse if I lived closer, <laughs> you know? I have a sense of detachment being this far away, you know? Maybe some of you out there listening to this can relate to what I'm talking about. I hope so. You know, I hope so. Um, it's, a, it's a weird thing, you know? Is it the end of the world? No. No. I, I guess, you know, I've been thinking to myself, like, I'm focusing less on the past now. I don't really want to think about the way it used to be or the nostalgia, you know, attached to that city and all those things. And, oh, the younger years and it was so fun and remember when and all, all this. I don't really want to do that anymore. It's really turning into this idea of looking forward into the future. I don't I don't want to remember. I don't want to think about it anymore. I used to do that a lot, like a, a lot. You know, um, I'm a very emotional person. I'm a very sentimental person. Uh, so, you know, I, f- I would look back with happiness and pride, you know, and gratitude to my parents for providing that kind of life for me as a kid, you know, um, in the suburbs that are just, oh, so horrible, you know, it's like bullshit. It was great, man. It was great when I was growing up. It was. But that part of my life, even though I'm 50 years old now, actually 52, I just turned 52. um, I'm old now. 
but uh, just now, really, that that kind of idea, this idea of holding on to the past, is really kind of over. At least for the time being, you know, maybe at some point in the future, I'll have the desire to think about it again or to want to remember, you know, but right now, uh, the memories are either very painful and sad, or they're just pointless. You know, it's, there's no point in remembering anymore. Um, that sounds so final, but it, it really kind of is, you know, um, and it's shocking, you know, it's a shock to the system to within just six months to lose not just my father, but my mother and the house that I grew up in. It's all gone. It's gone. I still kind of like sometimes can't believe it. It happens so quickly and my head is spinning, you know, from it, you know, but like I said, it's not the end of the world. It's sad. Yes. I feel bad. Yes, I do. I would be lying if I said otherwise, but I don't know. Some, I mean, at some point in our lives, for all of us, for everybody listening to this right now, for some of you, it may have happened earlier when you were younger. Some of you, you may be much older than me and it still hasn't ended, you know, it hasn't happened yet. But here I am, you know, I'm not immune. I'm like everybody else. My parents were, you know, even though they were married for 65 years, yeah, 65 years, over half of a century together. Can you imagine, you know? Um, and, you know, while I'm thinking about it, really, I kind of thought, you know, I had this thought uh, about a year ago, you know, where it's like, my mother and father lived together for 65 years. Okay. And I have a really strong belief about that kind of thing where if you spend that much time with somebody, like, you know, you've heard people say it before, right? Where the two kind of like become one. I know it's like a biblical thing too. It says that in the Bible that when two people are married, the two become one. Well, I think that that's true. And with my parents, it was like um, they started to kind of look the same and they started to kind of be the same size. You know, it's like it's weird uh, how things like that can happen. Like the two people together for that long just kind of assimilate into each other, you know, and um, also too. You know, there's this idea that when people are that close, they've been married for that long, that when one of them dies, the other one dies soon after. Like, they're not meant to really be separated, you know? And, you know, originally when all this shook down, after my parents got the vax and got boosted, my mom got really sick, okay? And, uh... My father, for the first time in 65 years, was contending with this idea that he's in the house alone. Like the person who was always with him for 65 years is no longer there. She's still alive, but she's somewhere else now. And I think that my father started to kind of um, change emotionally. And, you know, actually it was kind of like, according to the testimony of my brothers and my sister and my other family members, like my father started to kind of deteriorate, like his uh, patience level or his ability to kind of reason and to be um, rational, you know, um, he, he lost a little bit of that. And you know, I had suggested that maybe that was because, you know, 
naturally this man was adjusting to life without this other person there all the time. You know, um, my, my family members seem to think that that was probably not the case or they hadn't thought about it like that, but they were dealing with my father and his, uh, changing temperament. You know, he was changing, but I think he was just bewildered, you know, probably on some really deep, profound level, um, not coping with this idea very well that he's on his own, uh, for the first time, really, really like for the first time in his life, you know? Oh, so my father got sick as well. And I think that maybe this, this idea, the state that he was in of being separated from my mother contributed to that, you know? And I'd like to think, at least I always like to think, you know, when I was younger and I would imagine the day when my parents weren't there anymore, you know, I imagine that they would go together, you know, I think it would have been really pitiful and really sad and really kind of hard to deal with um, if one of my parents would have been alone for a really long time. I don't think that they would have done well. And I, I remember being younger and I would imagine, okay, someday this will happen. And what will it be like? And how will I feel? And how old will I be? How old will they be? Who's going to go first, mom or dad? Like, what will happen? What will it be like? Now all that is behind me and I can kind of look at it with a fresh kind of, and you know, realistic uh, vantage point. You know, I can study it and think about it and uh, ponder what has happened and how it happened. And I think that um, I'm grateful, believe it or not, uh, like when my mother passed away, um, I was sad. Yes, of course, she's my mom, you know, but I was glad, kind of like glad that she was with my dad. You know, like they weren't meant to be separated and every single person at my mother's funeral was kind of singing that same song like everybody that knew my parents personally and you know they all kind of were saying the same thing like they were one of those couples man you know uh, where they're not meant to be separated they were truly were soulmates Everybody knew that. They had been together for so long. They never had a rocky period. They never had a time where they wanted to separate or anything like that. They just had harmony for 65 years, you know? So part of me was kind of like relieved that they were together. They went together. I think I would rather have it that way. And that's why I'm not overwhelmingly sad about the death of my mother, because I kind of feel like maybe my dad paved the way. Maybe he was waiting for her. And, you know, he greeted her, you know. And, um, you know, I'm going to also share with you another story. It's kind of a, a weird one, but and a very personal one too, but hell, why not? We're talking about this now, right? Here I am. Let me, let me get another sip of my coffee. Hang on. Oh man. Mm. Good, good, good. Um, a long time ago, after I was born and after my little brother was born, my mother got pregnant again. Okay. My mom had six children. Okay. And my mom was like one of those ladies that never wanted to work. She didn't want to be, you know, independent and have a job or anything like that. She didn't want to be professional. All she wanted to do was be a mom. That was all she wanted to do. 
And that's exactly what she was all of her life. So she had this affinity for little kids, for children, you know, having children. And um, so when my mother got pregnant for the seventh time, okay, um, she was, of course, like really excited and really happy. She was going to have another baby, you know, another child. And uh, she was such a good mom. You know, she was such a good mom that way. She really was. We were very lucky, you know, all of us were, to have her like that. I mean, a woman that just loves being a mom, you know? <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> we gave her a run for her money, you know, trust me. Four boys, you know, two girls and four boys. My mom had her hands full. But anyway, I digress. The, the point I'm making is that she got pregnant again. And uh, this time, unfortunately, there were a lot of complications uh, on the day of the delivery of the baby. And my little brother, you know, who had gone full term, okay, with my mom, actually wound up dying. Okay. And um, I was, of course, like too young to even know any of this was going on. Like, I didn't even know. But my mother was extremely heartbroken by this event. I can't overstate how disappointed she was and how sad my mother was by this. Even, you know, many years later, like every single year around that time, around the day that that happened my mom would kind of like sink into this really deep kind of like depression, like darkness and sad and emotional and kind of crabby. And she would snap at us and, you know, that kind of thing because she was dealing with the loss of that baby, even though she had six of us, you know, (laughs) you know what I mean? She lost this little baby and it just, it ruined her, really. Um, She was functional and she was, you know, my mom, she was baking cookies and we had a home cooked meal every night. My father ate dinner with us every night. We had rules, you know, we weren't allowed to eat until dad sat down first and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it was like, um, it, it was a very pleasant and very disciplined and organized situation revolving around like this respect for my parents, you know, but you know, my mom, uh, you know, she would, she would go every year, every year, right around that date, you know, eventually we kind of figured it out like, Oh yeah, that's right. She had a stillbirth right around that time. And Oh, it just was like, the strangest thing. Well, my father would always tell me, you know, when we talked about it, he would always tell me that my little brother, uh, because my father was the only person who really saw him. And he was the only person who went to the funeral for this little baby. Um, my father was, would always tell me that this baby looked like me, but it had dark hair. I had blonde hair. This one had dark hair. And he had a name. His name was Thomas. And uh, he had a little headstone, you know, and uh, it was a tangible thing. Like it was it was a part of our life, even though we didn't think about it all the time. And we didn't think about Thomas all the time. uh, My mom did. And so he never really died. He was like alive in our house in that way. If you can understand what I mean, maybe this is too personal to be sharing. I don't know. I don't think so, though. You know, who cares now? It's all said and done. Well, we know what's weird is um, my mother and my father wanted to be buried in a different cemetery than the one that my family had traditionally used for, you know, probably like a hundred years. Like everybody in my family 
grandmas, grandpas, cousins, my sister, they're all buried in the same cemetery. But my parents decided they wanted to be buried somewhere else. So they had my little brother, Thomas, they had his grave exhumed. They had him moved to this other cemetery where they were going to be buried and he would be buried with them. Okay. And, uh, you know, we're at the funeral from my mom, you know, the priest says his prayers, everything is kind of done. Everybody takes off cause it's time to eat. Right. So they all get in their cars and they're driving to the, you know, the place where they're going to have food. And, uh, from my wife and myself, it's always been kind of like uh, something I've insisted on. Um, like we'll stay until they cover the grave. Like I, I'll, I'll stay and watch over the grave until it is covered. Okay. So check this out. I'm sitting there with my wife in the car. We're the only car there, you know, in the cemetery. And the guys are working the crew that's breaking down the tent that they had and all that stuff. They're picking everything up, you know, moving on to the next thing and, uh, you know, getting ready to literally bury my mom, you know, to cover it up, you know. And uh, I'm talking to this funeral director guy. You know, I had talked to him when my dad died a few months back. So, you know, he remembered me and we were sitting there talking and he says, hey, you know, by the way, if you see that hearse right over there, that has the casket for your little brother in it. You know? And I'm like, what? Like, what? And he's like, yeah, it's right there. If you stay, you'll be able to see them put his casket in there with your mom. And I was like, oh, get the hell out of here. You know, like, no way. You know, no way. And sure enough, and I stayed, I watched, there was a little teeny tiny little casket, you know, for my little brother. And they put him right in there with my mom. Oh, and it was just such a weird thing. Like, oh, you know, Thomas, this baby that I've been hearing about for all these years, you know, um, is actually real. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm seeing it. He's here. And he's with my mom right now in the ground. Like they're together. My mom's casket was there in the vault, you know, and then they put his little casket on top, the little vault. And that's it. Mom, dad, and Thomas, they're all buried together, you know? And, um, I don't know. I just, I kind of felt like I was privileged, you know, to see that everybody else was so, you know, into like, you know, food, you know, that's what people do when there's a get together of any kind. It's like food becomes like the grand finale. We're all coming together for like what, like a funeral or a wedding or something. But really what it boils down to is like free food, you know? So, you know, I forego that, you know, I don't, I'm not interested in that. Um, and I was just so glad. And I guess I kind of felt that it was in some small way, you know, like a communication from my mom and my dad and my little brother and maybe God, too, that I was witnessing this. You know, there was a gift that I was able to see that nobody else was there. Just me and my wife. That's it. All the other family was gone. And, uh, oh man, am I glad I stayed, stayed behind like I usually do just to make sure that things get closed up properly. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like in some ways, like, like the Jewish people do, they call it sitting Shiva when someone dies. I think that's what they call it. You know, someone will watch over the body until it is buried. You know, they have somebody sitting there, you know, guarding the body to make sure that everything is okay and nothing is done to the body that's not kosher or whatever, you know. Um, I kind of see it like that, you know. Like, if no one else is willing to do that, to take that extra time, I'll do it, you know. Especially for, well, I would do it for anybody, but especially for my parents, you know. 
So, yeah, yeah, strange, strange things. Very, very weird time, but not, not so sad, really. You know, I think I felt worse when my father died because I just loved that guy. <laughs> you know, I had such a great dad. I mean, I, what can I say? You know, and I will never know somebody as kind as my father again. I will never know somebody like that again. He was like, not like anybody else. Not even like my mom. You know, my mom had her moments where it was like, you know, it was a little difficult sometimes, you know, but it was never like that with my dad. Not once. So I felt bad when he died. You know, I felt worse, I guess. I felt more relieved when my mom died because she wasn't alone here anymore. She was with my dad. That's where she belongs, you know. They're that kind of couple. So that's all I'm going to say about that today. Now, I'm going to tell you something else here. I want to end this podcast with this. First of all, I want to apologize for kind of being away from the microphone as long as I have. Okay, it's really not cool. I don't like it. I mean, it's been nice having the time to think and to reflect and all that. But I really am kind of disappointed with myself, you know, and uh, should be doing better than that. So I'm really going to try in the near future to do, you know, the Singularity podcast in a much more consistent way, at least more consistent than I have been doing in the recent year or past couple of years or whatever, you know, um, I'm sorry about that. You know, um, I know that some of you really kind of dig me doing this, you know, and I do, too. And, uh, you know, my wife pointed out to me just last night. She's like, you know, you realize you've been doing this podcast for seven years. And I was like, no way. I haven't been doing it for seven years. It's only been like three years or something like that. Sure enough, I went back to the date of the very first podcast I did and it was seven years ago man I've been doing this thing for seven years I am stunned that that much time has gone by and um, you know there have been times when I wanted to stop there have been times when I've kind of cooled it a little bit I didn't really you know jam on the podcast thing and there were times when I was just like cranking them out too I suppose um um and I, I don't think it's necessarily bad that I've done it the way I've done it, but there's a part of me, a very real part of me, that's kind of like regretting that I'm not more consistent. So I wanted to say at the end of this podcast that you should be looking forward to getting, you know, many more of the Singularity podcasts and in a more timely fashion. And uh, this thing, as far as I'm concerned, at this moment in time, the Singularity podcast will never end. Okay? So, if you guys ever wonder to yourselves, you know, is he ever going to do a podcast again? The answer is yes. Unless I'm not alive myself, yes, I will be doing one. And, you know, I have new pipe choir music coming. You know, I have a new album I'm going to be releasing before too long. I have three PC3 albums that I'm going to be releasing very soon. I'm having some issues with distribution right now. Um, all kinds of stuff like that. You know, licensing, copyright, distribution. There's always some kind of sticking point, some kind of bullshit I have to deal with, you know, in order to just get it out there. But I'll do what I got to do. It'll take however long it takes. But, you know... Uh, don't think for a second that I've quit or I'm not going to continue or whatever. There may be a large break, a large gap in time when there's no activity, but trust me, folks, I'll be doing this stuff until I can't anymore, you know? So anyway, my happy innovators, until next time, if you want to keep what you've got, you've got to give it away. Take it easy and thank you for your patience.
Okay, happy innovators. I got some music for you at the end of this podcast. Um, I'm going to share with you something I've never done before, as far as I know. Um, I'm going to share with you a song that I'm currently working on for Pipe Choir. Um, it's not finished. It's maybe, you know, close to being finished, but it's not finished. It's not a finished track. Uh, and I don't normally like to share music until it's finished. But I figured, you know, you guys have had to wait for a new podcast for so long. And I've been so inconsistent. I've decided I'm going to do something for you that I've never done before. So without further ado, here we go. It's a new song I'm working on. Actually, it's an old song that I've redone that no one has ever heard before. It's from a long time ago. It's a song called Don't Cry. And um, I'm pretty proud of this one, actually. It's coming along really well. And uh, you'll be able to hear it in the unfinished state that it is. And uh, maybe it'll take on more meaning in the future. When you do hear the finished version, you'll be able to compare the two. Maybe. Maybe. You know, that's how I am. That's what I would do. So without further ado, here we go. Pipe Choir, Don't Cry. Take it easy, everybody. Won't you come to 